It's season two of Espresso and Earl Grey. Yay! <laughs> I'm Sam Wan and I am one of the collaborators here at Espresso and Earl Grey with my good friend, Dr. Sam Chan. We're just two Asian Australians sitting back, drinking a cup of coffee and a cup of tea and just talking about life's everyday things. And so we started this podcast during our COVID period and we thought it would be great to now reflect in our second season, a post-COVID world. And so grab your favourite cup of tea or beverage or whatever you like to drink while you're listening to a podcast and sit back and relax and listen to Espresso and Earl Grey. I really want to talk about post-COVID. Yeah. You know, that kind of, or anxiety. Heading into this second spike, do you reckon? For sure. All right, let's... Well, here's the thing with COVID. Yeah. And I actually grabbed a doctor last week. Yeah. And he's a specialist. And I asked him, what's your take on COVID? And he said, We've actually never been here before. This is actually a very unique time. Oh, yeah, we can talk about the 1918 Spanish flu mm -hmm. epidemic, but this is actually a unique time. We've never been here before. This is a very unique virus uh, in that we don't know how it's behaving. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of those things where we just don't know. Mm -hmm. So it's always on the one hand, but on the other hand. So he said, on the one hand, often we're underreacting. On the other hand, often we're overreacting. Yeah. On the one hand, people seem to get way more sick than you thought they would. And he yeah. had someone in his church end up on a ventilator. Right. So it's the real thing. Yeah, yeah. But on the other hand, you get people who get way less sick than you thought they would have. Yeah. And on the one hand, elimination cannot work. It's like saying we're jumping in a spaceship, leaving planet Earth. Wally style mm. and will only come back when it's safe to return. Mm. New Zealand can get away with it because they're yeah. two million people yeah. on an island. Yeah. But we're much more cosmopolitan than New Zealand. So we can't that's like comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, suppression can't work either because once you lift the lockdown, one case boom becomes a hundred cases, yeah. boom becomes a thousand cases overnight. So So it's like testing our flexibility, isn't it? Testing our ability humanity's ability to adapt in a kind of in a hyper in a hyper way yeah and and then every country is different so you get those countries that had their first wave like mm. italy ireland germany now they're coming out of lockdown and things are going okay but you have australia who had a very small first wave yeah, yeah. the curve was flat for three months yeah and then we just came out of lockdown and kaboom, we've yeah. just exploded overnight. And it's almost like we're not the same as Ireland, Italy or Germany because our first wave almost wasn't a first wave. Yeah. So what we're getting right now is our first wave. Yeah. The real yeah. So how do we, how do we, what's the posture to take in, in I guess, what, what's that term? The ambiguity? Like, yeah, yeah. I think... For the last 100 years, we in Western civilization have been sold the myth that we've got total control over 
every small aspect of our life. Yeah. And so the fact that when you ask for coffee, you're given choice of skim milk, full cream milk, goat's milk, mm. almond milk, yeah, yeah. even though it's not even milk, gives you the illusion of control, yes. you know, to the point where you want, you know, a latte, do you want a cappuccino? And the only difference is, you know, the froth almost. <laughs> it's minimal, right, but it right. gives you yeah, the yeah. illusion a of choice. A flat white or a latte. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we've had this idea you can micromanage almost every aspect of your life. So when a person goes to hospital to give birth to a child, they actually go in with a, a birth plan mm. as if you can micromanage mm. what the next six to eight hours is going mm. to look like. Mm. Mm. And I think for the first time we realised we have no plan. Like we cannot predict mm. what's going mm. to happen. Mm. And in the unpredictability, it leads to a lot of stress, doesn't it? Yeah, only especially for us in the West who've been told you can be yes. in control. And so now we're realising I can't be in control. Yes. And that's very stressful. Whereas yeah. there are other parts of the world where they've never had much control. Yeah. And this is quite a normal as much suffering and grief as there is yeah, yeah. in illness and death yeah. but this has been their world i remember reading a particular book uh where it was saying that it's um a hundred years ago where death and disease and infant mortality rate was so little that people that that was just their lives that um that infant mortality rate was so, so high, high so yeah. high um that unpredictability was just so high. But then again, they lived in, in a Christendom, in a way, where they saw that God was in control. And I, I might have jumped really quickly already into God, but they lived in a society where they saw God and church, angels and demons was in control. But now, coming to this side, where we've kind of, God is dead, and we've gotten rid of God, humanity's in control when we're thrown into these situations we actually realize wait a minute we're not even the best of medical advice isn't really saving us i just looked at this new york times article where this writer was saying that like you look at deaths per thousand population a hundred years ago in new york it was way 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 worse than even the worst epidemic we're getting now and, and that's it said death and uncertainty and illness and pandemics was a normal part of life back then. And think of all the things that we didn't have vaccines for, like polio, mm. smallpox. So you could get presidents of America ending up with polio and yeah. end up in a wheelchair. So, so there was so much contingency. And, you know, my dad comes from a family of six siblings, but that was normal back then. People had six to eight children because they knew there was so much uncertainty in life and you would probably yeah. be losing two yeah. or three of your children early on in life. And sure yeah. enough, my dad grew up with uh, losing a sibling early on in life yeah. to an infectious disease. Yeah. And it's tragic, it's horrible, mm. but that's what used to happen. And mm. so that was a normal part of life. Yeah, I was just reading that, I think it was John Owen, whose seven kids, who survived his seven kids and whose first wife passed away as well. That This was back in the probably the 16th, 17th century. And that was, that was, that was everyday life for them. Yeah, and so Western affluence, we have one, two children maximum, maybe, mm. Mm. because anything more than two is an inconvenience. And just 
assuming you know i can control predict you know how many children i have when they're going to be born uh, what school i'm going to put them in so the fear of losing control what's the solution to that is it a matter of just giving in and giving up and <laughs> a lot of it is frame of mind frame yeah. of mind frame of mind and someone once told me if you walked on a, a wooden plank half a foot above the ground you could easily do it mm. but if you walk on that same wooden plank six stories up yeah, off the ground yeah. suddenly you can't do it it's the yeah. same physical act yes but you can't do it because your frame of mind yeah. And I think it's the same right now. Like, how do we view our reality? What's our frame of mind? Was I told I have to be in absolute control mm. with choice and certainty over everything? Or can I live with uncertainty? Like, what's my frame of mind? What's my posture to this? Mm, mm. So it's, it's a posture of living with uncertainty and going, well, life, there's a lot of things that I can't control and that's okay. I've got to be able to let go and, and allow things to happen to me rather than controlling it. Yeah, it's interesting how all the different worldviews would have different ways of framing it. So the one extreme, if you're just going to be a Western secular worldview, where we're just atoms and molecules, there is no God, uh, there are no spiritual forces out there, it's actually quite a physical determinist universe. So Yuval Noah Harari, the author of Homo Deus, Homo Sapiens, he is a committed atheist and says that's the only logical way of seeing things, that actually freedom is an illusion, yes. choice is an illusion, yes. even moral accountability is an illusion. Right. We're just part of a physically determined universe. Yeah. Viruses come and go. Yeah. Uh, this is just what happens. Yeah. And there so is even no... fear is an illusion as well. Yeah, he would say all those things. Yeah, yeah. And, and so just get over it. Yeah. This has been a useful fiction we've been telling yes. ourselves yes. that's what he would say and and i think if you're a committed atheist you'd say right now uncertainty that's just life you know yeah. we're in a physically determined universe uh, this is a fiction we've been telling ourselves that we have freedom we have control mm. we have certainty no but you don't so that's one way or you could go the way of i guess traditional folk religions where mm. there's spiritual forces everywhere yeah. Yeah. But usually they're unpredictable yeah. and they're capricious yeah. and they're evil yeah. and yeah, they're yeah, mischievous. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know which, which is which. Yeah, yeah. and you, they try to do all these things to appease a thousand spiritual forces out there. Yeah. But really, you're the victim of their whims and their mischief. Mm. Or you can say, you know, there's a powerful being, but this being doesn't care. It's impersonal, it's unloving. Mm. So yes, there's a virus, yes, there's a pandemic, such is the will of this spiritual mm. being. But mm. in the end, this being doesn't care. Powerful yeah. maybe, but doesn't care. Or the Judeo-Christian one, which is there's a loving, personal God behind this. I don't understand what's going on, but, then, but because this God is loving and powerful and personal, there must be a loving, wise reason for what's going on. There's a bigger picture going on. I'm just a small jigsaw puzzle here. Mm. But in the end, based on the track record of this God, I'm, 
I'm just going to have to trust this God. I'm free to lament. And it seems to me the Judeo-Christian heritage, you're allowed to lament, you're allowed to cry. Whereas in Asian religions, it's basically, get over it, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you're evil, your suffering is an illusion. Just yeah. grow up, wake yeah. up. But Judeo-Christianity says, no, I'm allowed to cry, I'm allowed to grieve, I'm allowed to hurt. This world's not the way it should be. Mm. But there must be a loving, powerful reason for what's going on. And then the Christian religion goes one step further, you know, and Judeo Christianity especially, this God then enters this world and suffers alongside with you. Yeah. So I guess looking at lamenting, lamenting in the COVID state, what does that look like then for as a Christian for, for you? Well, there's so many people who have lost jobs right now mm. because of COVID. And if you haven't lost a job, you've been restructured and you've had to take at least a 20% pay cut. And I think for most of us, we've gone, entered at least into a culture shock. Like, this is not the Australia I recognise. Yeah. At all. This is a new country. It's almost yeah. like someone's just thrown me in a plane transported me a different country different culture different yes. time zone yes so we're slowly managing culture shock yes and with that comes fatigue bitterness anger confusion mm. and loss of productivity mm. that's at the least that sounds very much like grief that's right grief. and really we're grieving because we're mourning the loss of a life stage or a life we once had mm. we're mourning the loss of a certainty we once had yeah and we're mourning the loss of what could have been. Yeah. I think we had so many things things planned for this year and even next year. Yeah. Some of them realizing <laughs> they're not going to happen. So yeah. it's the loss of what could have been. Yeah, yeah. So personally, could have been for you, Sam. Oh my gosh. What what are you personally grieving? Oh, I'm grieving, mourning the loss of family rituals. They yeah. were very meaningful in my family, like little rituals like going to the Easter show together and just yes. seeing fireworks yes. once a year as a family. Yes. Uh, our school holiday ritual where I would have taken the family to a beach and we would have just spent every day surfing gentle waves. Yeah, yeah. We would have had a ski camp this year where I would have been a speaker at a crew camp. Yeah. And along that would have been a whole ritual of us driving down to Victoria, yeah, spending night in yeah. Holbrook and then spending a week at Mount Hotham, yeah. coming back, spending night in Gundagai. So there was a whole ritual. Yeah. Also, we were meant to go with compassion to see the underprivileged children in Peru. Wow. And we were going to see Machu Picchu on the way back. <laughs> so it's a big, and yeah. I had a lot of speaking engagements in the United yeah, States. Yeah. So that the mourning loss of what could have been. Yeah. But then seeing, okay, that's a glass half empty, but what's a glass half full? And the yeah. glass half full has been a chance to declutter my life. Yes. Declutter my diary. Yes. Ironically, spend more meaningful time with my yes. family. So you get the same end result, family yeah. time, without all the clutter of travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think... Oh, so, so they say with grief, the wrong advice to give people grieving is saying, move on, yes. move on, because yes. you never move on. Yeah, yeah, How yeah, do you yeah, move yeah. on? What you're meant to do is adjust to a new reality. Yes. So can I adjust to a new reality yes. where I don't have certainty? 
and mm. I don't have the level of control I mm. thought I did. Mm. Yeah, and I think I was just grieving uh, over again. I had a lot of speaking opportunities mm. over this year, and uh, a lot of papers that I was going to write, and all this I was going to go to America. And this this time, this time had COVID not been uh, happening, I would be sitting on a plane going to America. Um, going to to a conference, and now I'm going to visit my friend in New York, and now I'm just sitting here in Croydon Park uh, <laughs> with Sam Chan. But then again, on the other flip side, I've been able to do this podcast with you, right? Which is which is fascinating. Being able to explore all these things, being able to just slow down in life, uh, which has been so good. I think on the other side. It's like trying to perhaps adapting to change and adapting to grief is seeing things from an optimistic perspective as well, isn't it? That's right. So reframing, again, saying, hey, maybe this is not the bad thing I thought it was. Mm. Maybe the certainty and control we've had has always been very much an illusion. Mm. And this has been a wake up, recalibrate, reset moment for Mm. a lot of us. A big thing for me was, I don't know if I mentioned an early podcast, but I was living on less than 40% of my normal income yeah, during lockdown yeah. because I lost my medical work because I stopped all elective operations. And then I had to take a, a pay cut with City Bible Forum. Yeah, but yeah. somehow I still had enough money to pay the bills yes, every week. Yes. And it's because we decluttered. Suddenly yes. I'm not spending or doing things I didn't yeah, have yeah, to do. Yeah, so. Yeah. It's been a wake-up call. Yeah, it has. It has. And it's, it's made us perhaps even just value life all the more, value the people and create new rituals in our lives as well. Um, I, you were just saying before how rituals really stabilise life, doesn't it? It marks stability. It marks what, what my year looks like. But w- have you been able to reconstruct new rituals in your life well we had little micro daily rituals which became very healthy and very regular during the COVID isolation and is still continuing now where my boys and i would wake up they would see me reading my bible and praying and meditating each morning and they would do the same they kept it up every Mm. single day for this year and then they would see me exercise in the morning so i have this thing I have to do every day, and I call it CBE, Coffee Bible Exercise. I wake up, first thing I do is have a coffee, then I read my Bible, and then I do 20 minutes of exercise. And my boys all do the same. And now that we're coming out of isolation and they're going to school, they still do the same. Every morning they wake up, they'll read their Bibles, do a little bit of exercise, and off they go to school. Mm. So your yearly or monthly rituals have turned into daily ones. Yeah. Another one was that, that, you know, especially during COVID isolation, it was impossible to know what day of the week it was. <laughs> I remember reading a New York Times headline, that joke, where every day felt like a Wednesday. And you didn't know. But, but for those of us who had a faith, the online church ritual was mm. quite interesting, wasn't it? Because technically with online church, you could watch it any time. Mm any day of the week, but somehow we still maintain the ritual. We're going to get up and at nine o'clock, we're going to, we're going to log in and we're going to 
worship together yeah. as a community. Yeah, so yeah. we had a weekly ritual, which I thought would stop surely, but yeah, and we kept it up where every Sunday at nine o'clock we're going to check in on online yeah. church. Yeah, and it seemed like I don't know, reflecting it from a Christian perspective, like you could have treated it like ten play. Or seven, you know, you could have treated it as as SBS on demand, right? That's Church right. on demand, but we didn't. Yeah, you, you could have said, "I'm going to sleep in, I'm going to log on at four p.m. instead," yeah. but we didn't. And here's the other thing: this was a chance to go to other churches where the, <laughs> where the singing might have been better, where the preaching might have been better, but none of us did. There's something no, about yeah. checking in with the same people. And seeing the same ministers and the same so we somehow needed this maintenance this ritual yeah. why is that i think that suddenly we realized there that even though we lost some certainties here's one thing i still have for certain mm. you know my, my mm. local church will have their local online service yeah, yeah, yeah. and i'm going to see the same faces yeah and it seems like it's i think um Abraham Heschel will, will say that, he's, he's a Jewish rabbi, he would say that it's because the Shabbat, the, uh, the, the Sabbath, is created inside man. That, that we, there is an ingrained nature of us to need a seven day worship. That, that we have to stop and rest for us. And perhaps that's in, in, a, in a way that we can see there has to be a moment for us to just slow down and uh, not actively do, but just receive God's word and just be with God's people and worship our God. That's it for another week of Espresso and Earl Grey. You can find us and our last season on everywhere that you can find podcasts and we hope you have a great week where you listen well and you look at the world through different eyes.